0: A podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have a really fabulous episode in store for you. This is all about secrets from the inside, the top areas of insight from 30 years at the coalface. And to talk all about this, we have on board today Alan McEwen, who is the founder and CEO of Prosperity Advisors Group, who this year have celebrated. Thirty years of business. Now, this is a really good episode. In fact, It's so good that we've turned it into two episodes. So we have two episodes here, part one and part two, talking all about these areas of insight into merger and acquisition activity that Alan has seen over the 30 years in which he's had Prosperity Advisors Group. Now, first, I just want to start by giving you a little bit of background of Alan, because I think it really sets up the scene well for the discussion that Alan and I have in this two part series. So... Alan is an accountant. He commenced his professional career with the global accounting firm Ernst & Young, working for eight years in the Audit and Business Services Division. And after gaining international experience there through secondments to Canada and New Zealand, at the young age of 27, he founded a Newcastle firm and then for the next 30 years had led the firm, reinventing the business as a multidisciplinary practice and rebranding it in 2002 as Prosperity. Prosperity now has offices in Sydney, Brisbane, as well as Newcastle and has added a further 10 partners. And the discussions that I have today with Alan are based all around this 30 years of experience in dealing with clients and not only in just dealing with clients, but also in relation to his own experience based on the many multiple acquisitions that his own accounting firm had also been involved in. So Alan, Discussion today not just comes from three decades of experience in dealing with clients but also from on the ground experience of acquiring for growth many times over within his own practice. So, in the next two Two parts, part one and part two of this series, we're going to be talking all about these top areas of insights. We're talking about what your exit options are in a business. We're looking at buyer and seller identification. We're looking at building the value in the business. We discuss information memorandums, due diligence, and we get into quite a lot of detail about the deal itself. And finally, the role of advisors. So I'm really looking forward to bringing you part one and part two of our discussion with Alan, Secrets from the Inside. Here we go. Alan, hello. I'm really excited uh, to talk to you today about all of these areas of insight that you've had from 30 years at the coalface.
1: Thanks, Joanna. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> Mergers and acquisitions are a really exciting area, energise us any time that we get involved in a, a project of this nature. And of course, there, there are lots of intricacies involved in each project. So I'm delighted to share some of things that we've learned along our, our 30 years of practice.
0: Yeah, fabulous. Okay, all right. And I guess let's start off, perhaps we'll just start off right from the beginning. I guess today we're talking about a number of areas of insight that you've seen over time. So, what's the what's the first, what's the top area, I guess, that you feel buyers and sellers should think clearly about before they come to that point of exit?
1: I think for the uh, for- Sellers in particular got to understand how they got to the position of preparing their business for sale. So there are generally you know, three categories of seller. There's the serial entrepreneur that finds an opportunity, takes it as far as they can, and flips it as soon as they can to maximise their capital return. There are those that have no intention of selling and they're approached with so godfather would say an offer they may not be able to refuse or at least <laughs> an offer so it comes completely from left field and there's the other category and i think this is a, a really interesting one that we probably see most of and that's the long term business owner operator might be family business might be a business they've started or acquired and often they've just run out of something they've either run out of energy they've run out of passion sometimes they've run out of out of money they've run out of ideas and they just mm. feel that that they're blocked and often there's a way of unblocking those things and and I guess in our role sometimes it's psychologists to try, psychologists as much as, as a business structure advisor to try and work through those issues to say, well, if you did this or that, would you really need to sell the business? is the time right now? Or can you fix these things and go on to maximize the value of what you have?
0: Such a good point that you make there because I I was actually, it's strange that you bring this up because I literally about an hour ago got off the phone to a client who had been running headlong into the sale process and then now is at the point of signing and has suddenly said, hold on, I actually don't think what I needed to do was sell in this instance. And it's a lot of wasted time and effort for um, all of the parties involved. I mean, for him, his eye's been off the ball of the business as well because he's been focused on the sale and it's only just had this revelation that maybe that's not what it's about. Maybe if you can share with us, you you know, do you recall any examples where this has played out in a big way or, or, you know, I I guess examples of when you've been able to have this discussion with clients early enough to to pick up the signs?
1: I think there've been plenty of those, but it's probably where we haven't been able to convince them they've sold the business. And I think the the really salient point is when you're a business owner operator, you, you just used to being in business and running something and having the personality attached to the business, Uh, you know, you get into a routine and a pattern. When that stops, people sell the business, they bank the check, take the long holiday and then come back and it's now what? And on many occasions, we then see someone, uh, many people go back into business again Mm because that's what they know that's what they really like and mm. they were really just in a pressured position that forced them to leave mm. and sometimes even worse they get into an entirely new business where they're new to the industry they don't really don't know it anywhere near as well as their yeah. previous occupation and don't do it well and a classic was a client I had that similar thing and bought the the motel thought that would be great a bit of a lifestyle thing and of course it was the absolute opposite like yeah. trying to run faulty tower as a disaster yeah. for them and ended up ended up um, upselling
0: yeah yeah I've had a number of clients that I've seen that have bought businesses like restaurants and uh, you know hospitality type things that have been in exactly the same situation as that so really good point not just for sellers but also for buyers as well to stand back and really think about the way it is that you're progressing down this path so then from a really practical perspective Alan maybe can you tell us what are the strategies that you've come to over time in terms of how you have that conversation? What is it that you say? What is it
1: that you do? Well, I think as a, a potential seller, you need to find someone that you know or trust or is experienced enough to have that conversation with that can speak you know, directly and frankly to you about the options and things that, that you need to consider. And quite often, the owner operator will need to change some of the things that they do to go to that next level. So if it's finance, they may need to release some of the control equity in the business. If it's a management blockage, well, again, they may need to delegate and create new positions. So, it's a bit of a decision about whether they're really up for those things to free the blockage. And if they're not, maybe the best thing is to sell. Mm. They're not able to, to transition to that stage.
0: Many of these things you're talking about are perhaps not necessarily things people link together with a discussion with their accountant. I like, you know, so some of these topics. I mean, is, is that... Something that you have come to over time and that is part of prosperity, a a broader approach to talking with clients about these things?
1: Yes, Joanna. There's no doubt numbers are the language of business success. However, you need to look through the numbers. There are Mm. always other considerations largely around people in value uh, capture as well that often aren't just reflected on the balance sheet or the profit and loss, Mm. but but are just so important in any business transactions, but particularly a purchase or sale.
0: Mm. I think they're really, really good points. Okay, so we've run through some of the insights that you've had with potential options and exit strategies. What else is it that you've identified over time?
1: I think from the other perspective with acquirers, uh, I think we've had clients get to a stage where we've worked with them on their strategic plan. It's now time to to expand the business through acquisition. A number have regretted they didn't do it earlier. Mm. Uh, So we all think about organic growth and often just borrowing to finance that organic growth. But there's some real value if you've got your structure right, you're good at what you're doing. Um, got your right marketing and business plan, in acquiring another business or businesses that, that fit well under that, you can leverage up your growth and profitability quite significantly. Now, the risk is if you're able to pull it off, and that's the entrepreneur backing themselves. Mm. But where we've been through that journey with clients and running a business well, they're able to, again, successfully run an expanded business and make it fly, and they regret not considering that early because it's scary. Scary, mm. you know. We we know we can see, feel, and and touch, but taking on another group of staff and a new client base or customer base, it's challenging to many. Um, but again, if you know true entrepreneurs and we're good at what we're doing, um, it's worth taking the challenge.
0: Mm. And so, I'm sure you've seen that done well and done not so well as well. <laughs> and so, maybe what what are some insights over time that you have? in terms of you know where acquisition as a growth strategy has worked really well? What categorizes that type of business or, or business
1: owner? I think the most important thing is understanding why you're doing it. So I you know, talked about growing and, and having a larger business. Um, it's not just about that. It's not just volume unless it's volume for a reason. So the usual things that are important, merging or acquiring to obtain specific skills. So it might be a different type of product that's that's associated to your product, but one that you don't currently provide. So you've got that product and you've got access to a, a broader client base. Um, it might be the skills of particular people within the organization. It might be a geographical footprint. So you might be based in New South Wales. You want to expand into Queensland rather than set up a greenfield site. You'll get faster traction if you can find the right business and Know, work off an existing existing base um, those types of things where you're merging for a specific reason or a thing that will add to your business give you a greater nothing's guaranteed give you a greater chance of success
0: and so am i right to say you um over the i guess history of prosperity of like dabbled in all of those areas yourself personally as well so so
1: yes, yeah, so as, as well as uh, advising clients we've mm. grown our our own business through uh, merger and acquisition. Um, not often, but probably every two or three years over our 30 year um, history, we've um, acquired or merged uh, business or practice in with our how I brought a firm.
0: And so, which of those strategies for your own practice do, do you think worked best? So, you talked about different strategies of acquisition or different approaches to acquisition. Which for an accounting practice do, do you think worked best?
1: We, we were probably um, one of the early adopters to providing holistic advice. And so, we started providing financial planning advice in our firm in the late 90s. We had a view that, that holistic advice was future for for accounting firms. And so we merged with a financial planning practice. Um, so that brought uh, individuals with that specific skill base um, and background in that discipline that our own partners and colleagues would have taken years to develop.
0: Mm. And so, w- working with your clients, how is it that you work with them through the process? You know, how does it usually work? Do they do they come and say, oh, we really want to grow, we're thinking of buying another, you, you know, buying another organisation and then you sit down and have the discussion about uh, how how that might play out best for them in terms of the strategy of who it is that they're going to go after and how they're going to use acquisition as a growth strategy?
1: So ideally it comes out of that business planning process that we've mm. involved with a uh, vast number of our, our business advisory clients. And that that is firstly, you know, what are your long-term goals? And with most of them, it, it is growth. And obviously those are the options. Organic growth or do you, do you um, supplement that by by merger or acquisition. And then if, if it's, well, as it sometimes is, we like to do both, it's then, well, what does the merger and acquisition look like? And it's just an iterative process of, of trying to define what will work well for that particular business, um, you know, what they see that they need to um, turbocharge their growth and be successful in their market. And mm. there's been some interesting strategies. You had one client who was a supplier of a particular um, products to some of the larger supermarkets and he embarked on a, a program of, of buying up all of his opposition within Australia. Mm. So he completely dominated the market. That took him a number of years, but then flipped the, I guess, the, the leverage position that the larger supermarket chains have in driving down price to him being the, really the only you know, monopoly supplier and uh, he had some, some tremendous uh, profit results and ultimately sold the business um, very successfully.
0: That's really clever. We like stories like that. <laughs> are there any, um, I guess, standout stories on the flip side of, you, you know, I guess, really, really wrong calls that perhaps were quite foreseeable? Uh, you,
1: you know? I don't recall any uh, specific disasters. Uh, I suppose there are some that don't go as well as, as uh, management would have liked. And, and I think we all overestimate the speed with which you're able to you know, pull an organisation into another or deliver on, on your business plan. So some of the things t- take a bit longer, and I, I think mainly where that's happened is not so much around the strategy. It's it's uh, misjudging the people issues.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So either placing more faith or trust in in those they don't know well well enough, or alternatively, um, you know, not having the the right people. On the team at the right time.
0: Mm -mm, I guess that's such a hard one to. Of course, numbers can tell a lot in terms of a story, but people often are where you know it's a little bit more difficult to predict uh, and to model. (laughs) And I guess on that modelling point, um, do you do a lot of work with clients within Prosperity in modelling in, in financial modelling and coming to financial models of outcomes to to create the strategy?
1: It's really important when you uh, flesh out a strategy such as, as a merger and acquisition one, so what does that mean financially? There's certainly the profit element and no one would do it unless there was a, an appropriate return for the risk you undertake. But the thing that, that people often miss or don't think about is what's the working capital uh, investment in mm. doing that? That's a really important consideration in that modelling. Mm. So you just don't switch on the the benefits from the added business from day one. There's always a gear up period. And that's that's a significant, often a significant cash strain mm. and you either need to fund that internally or make sure you've got the lines of credit to support it.
0: Yeah, fabulous. Okay. All right, so I think we've covered off well here um, options for both buyers and sellers um, and different options and strategies. So what then would be the second area that you've identified over time as issues and insight that, that you've seen in this area?
1: I think for anybody that owns and operates a business, it's always being in the marketplace um, mm. that even though you may not be considering sale at the moment, all it takes is an event. It might be a financial one. It might be a health one. It's important to have it in the back of your mind if it's, if it's not a short-term um, matter for you. And that's about you know, being well-known, making sure you've got profile and making sure you mix in industry circles and knowing other organizations where you say, well, look, I like those guys, they've got a similar culture, they're competitors, and you just never know where, where things may lead. And that works from the flip side as well and would assist you in identifying businesses, that you might like to acquire or, or merge into yours mm. so it's spending time in the, the right circles and often it's hard to justify that investment so there are industry associations all the rest of it many view that as a you know a day out of the the business but you need to be focused on that longer term value and opportunity in building those networks getting to know the uh, you know the broader environment of of uh, firms in your industry uh, so you can identify um, good MA opportunities if the need presents itself.
0: That's interesting. I rarely hear people talk about that as a strategy. It's It actually makes a lot of sense. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. I guess that's in particular in relation to possibility of buying into or selling into within the same industry rather than as you were talking about before, the uh, you know adding different types of business units. But it's a really good point. And often because uh, the multiples from between different industries can be very different valuation formulas. I think also. So, you know, having a finger on the pulse of what it looks like within your industry, not just a generic understanding of business valuation, but business valuation within your industry can be a really useful thing because as you were saying, we certainly see quite a lot of businesses who weren't necessarily aware that they might be about to sell and then they're either approached or they suddenly decide that they want to buy another business or whatever and having no no concept of. That point of what the valuation criteria is means that you you know you're coming at it really cold, <laughs> and it leaves you at a disadvantage. I guess uh, you know at the negotiation table is that something that you've employed in the accounting industry? Like is that how you were you out there looking for practices through industry events?
1: Yes, we are. As again, as business owner operators, um, we're mindful of that, and it and it's. Having a profile within the industry. So we've been approached by people looking to merge their practice or business on the basis of, you know, what they've seen or read about us or, you know, awards we may have won. It's building that that, um, credibility within your own ecosystem,
0: Mm. I think, can help
1: um, draw some of those opportunities towards you.
0: Mm, mm, that's a really good point. The other thing that you've got here is cultural fit versus worst Street. Yes. So how, how does that, what's the what's the link into the buyer-seller identification?
1: So, so I guess that strategy I just spoke about of being in your marketplace yep, yep, yep. And, and identifying people that are close, that's one strategy and they always say make sure there's a cultural fit. I've also seen it work where there hasn't been a cultural fit and where I see you're buying the – you know, worst house in the best street. So, the culture Mm. may not be equivalent, but there are other assets within the business that make the acquisition worthwhile, Mm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: And the value you pay is cognizant on that. So, you're paying less because there's something, there's some cultural mismatch with the business. But if you can work through that and realise the value in the assets, it may well be worth the differential.
0: But I'm sure you've seen many examples. I mean, I've seen many examples of cultural fit take an enormous – cultural fit issues take an enormous toll post-acquisition, even when – You know, the the feeling was by the acquirer that the assets were something that they could really utilize. How often do you see businesses actually be able to deal with that cultural fit element properly? Do Do you know what I mean? I mean, do have you seen that? As I, I just often see cultural fit as being that one element there that many people in acquisition might feel they can get across the line of, but it still ends up being this constant thorn.
1: It is very, very, very tough work and not for mm. the faint-hearted, mm. but I have seen people achieve significant enterprise value from working through it. Mm. But it requires hard decisions. It requires early decisions. It requires almost immediate action on addressing those cultural issues and not mm. tiptoeing around, well, we'll just leave both businesses as they are for a period of integration. Yeah, yeah yeah which i think is a good strategy in most most uh, occasions but where there clearly isn't a fit then it needs to be mapped out for everyone sooner rather than later mm. and particularly in that early period when people are expecting things mm. going well here's the new firm or the new company what are they going to do and if it drags on it just it, it's harder to achieve the change than you're perhaps uh, contemplating in the first place when the deal was put together.
0: And uh, I mean, a good point, this sub-point of yours is under this concept of buyer and seller identification. So, it really is about identifying that issue of cultural fit anyway, right in the beginning, I guess that's the first point, identifying that cultural fit, you know, is there or might be a problem um, within the organisation that you're acquiring or being acquired by uh, as well. Okay, all right. So, what else sits in this buyer-seller identification? Piece, Alan.
1: But again, I think it's um, a little bit around you don't know what you don't know. So by um, being in the marketplace, talking to to, to people in uh, similar companies and and maybe in other geographies, and, and we um, from Prosperity's perspective, we meet with um, our international alliance accounting firms from around the world. So you find out what they're doing and the types of businesses that they're getting involved in, and there's a lot of diversification. So a couple of our colleague firms have merged in data analytics businesses now. I think that's a really important uh, area that the accounting profession is heading mm. towards. So unless you're, you're out, you don't find the firms that are getting involved in that or find you know the smaller firms that are developing that as a, as a strong niche. And you know, maybe there's a good fit in coming together with an organization like that, for example.
0: Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, great. All right. So, so I think moving on from the buyer-seller identification, what's the next main area of insight? As
1: a seller, once you've made the decision that, that the time is right or, or that, that you're you know, preparing for sale, uh, it's preparing the business to make sure that you're maximizing the value. And this might be strange coming from from an accountant but it's not just about the net profit it's mm-hmm. not just about the um, profitability of the business there are so many other things that uh, purchases obviously will well, not obviously but purchases will look at they'll add often premiums to organizations that have robust systems and processes within them that might have you know some really um, uh, well-skilled rising stars within the business that mm. there's a you know, laid out succession plan you're not You know, necessarily key man to person uh, dependent on one or two people. If there's that, you know, good supportive management team, um, they'll give some consideration to that culture issue we talked about earlier, but also, you know, what's the innovation quotient like in that business if it's relevant? Mm. Um, I mean, we're all. Transitioning our business models these days, in no matter what business or activity you're involved in, so so what's the adaptability quotient of the workforce, and how, how willing are they to change and develop new ideas? I think um, that's an important consideration. There are other measures that aren't just financial. So, have you thought about running a net promoter score system to demonstrate that you have got good customer service and um, you know loyalty from your customers, rather than just you know saying that or pointing to to rise and grow sales, that you've got a, you know, world-recognised method for for proving that. And with your people, is there a 360-degree feedback system in to say, well, you know, we, we're we working with our people to become, you know, better managers and and um, leaders and so forth?
0: All right. And before Prosperity Advisors, you were Sneddon McEwan.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Interesting. All right. Okay.
1: And look, it wasn't about preparing for sale. It yeah. was... With our business plan in growing the the business in wanting to, you know, be an East Coast advisory firm as we've right. grown to become, in different markets, it, it wasn't about a small number of individuals. It was about building a name and a brand that made sense in any of those marketplaces. And in our case, um, we did it as a differentiator that gave us you know, the opportunity to prompt discussion about holistic service when we talked about the you know, name and why people had come to prosperity.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, with all of these things that you're talking about in terms of building the value, none of these something that you can do in sort of one month or two months or three months or probably even one year. You know, if if you're rebranding, you really need time for that to set in. Obviously, for systems and processes, it's not something that happens overnight for building talent and having the management team. All of this needs proper preparation. But You know, I often find business owners think about this concept of exit at the point of exit (laughs) rather than in advance. So how is it, you know, what are the practical, what's the practical way that you you help your clients grapple with these issues well in advance so that they they actually take and have impact in time for sale.
1: And <laughs> it's all about business planning. And sadly, most business owner operators plan is to be in business in a year's time. <laughs> Simple as that, Sally. I mean, they're busy, you know, Putting out the fires and and you know selling their their widgets whatever it might be, an important process we we go through here is the the longer term. Well, where do you want to end up? What's the retirement piece look like for you? Whether that's five years, ten years, twenty years out, where do you want to want to finish? Uh, and that might involve a, a number of things, not just numbers, mm. but where it is a number, where it is a, a quality of life supported by you know a financial underpinning. We then work backwards to say, well. Let's value your business now. What's that number? Here's the time in between. What do we need to do to your business to get it to a position where it can be sold for that number for you to realise your retirement or what you ever want to do, what you want to do in your post-work career? And that's a really important process. It gets people to think through the, the day-to-day and start to understand the value of these longer-term investments and strategic decisions and to understand that they need to do those if they want to get, um, to that, that ideal position.
0: Mm. And so, and so do, those, do those discussions occur within prosperity principally in, in the um, wealth management financial planning side of your business or, or do you think in prosperity and, and, and I guess I'm talking here about other accounting practices as well, You know, does that also, how, what does that look like if it's not just within a financial planning practice, if that makes sense?
1: So, so it's it's more common in financial planning mm. um, on an individual basis and that, that's exactly the methodology it's what do you want to retire on what are your assets now and your income and, and uh, how do we fill in the dots it's much more complicated in a business owner operator sense because mm. there's generally one big asset and it's not just savings that'll get you there or, or smart investment decisions there are a lot of intricacies in building your business value so you've got to unpack that and you know work out a strategy and a detailed plan to put all those things in place. So we certainly do it in financial planning, um, but we've used that background and learnings to, to introduce that to our business services and advisory section as well.
0: Mm. And I guess, um, I, I guess, given that you've had your practice for thirty years, you must now have that experience of having had these discussions, or had had these clients where these discussions have been had within within prosperity, where they've really gone from one picture to a very, very different picture over time. Are, are there any examples that you can sort of think of where this this discussion early in the piece has just made a massive difference to the way business owners have been? conducting the business and then what it looks like at at the outcome
1: at the end there are some very rewarding things of being in a business like ours one is seeing your own people grow and utilize their skills but secondly importantly is to see your clients go on and and achieve fabulous success there have been plenty examples of that i'd like to take responsibility for for them achieving (laughs) that but um i know we're only holding their hat and coat while they're having the fight and that we are just providing you know, the structure the sounding board and the advice but they've got to get in there and do it and that's yeah. the thing that's not lost on me they'll yeah. they always know their business 10 times better than uh, any one of uh, of us or my partners will at prosperity we're about structure process uh, challenging their their assumptions uh, and so forth but once the plans put in place we'll certainly monitor and work with them but they've got to get it get in there and do it yeah I guess our role is to have the hard discussions uh, and when they come up with a plan that's not feasible or doesn't make sense, that we actually, uh, in a gentle way, have that discussion with them. Mm. And sometimes financially, the, uh, there's a classic example, and I can't name names, where um, one of my partners spoke with a client about the reality of, well, if you really want to, want to uh, achieve success in this opportunity in front of you, you'll need to sell your house rent for a while, and put the proceeds of that sale into the business to realise the opportunity. Wow. Now, that's not with everyone's risk profile. Um, and what we're about is is presenting clients with options. Um, that was an option they chose to take. They've grown that into a, a multi-multi-million dollar profitable business wow. that's expanded internationally and it's been a great success story. Again, we don't take the, the credit for that. It's the people involved that made that decision but somebody's got to start the discussion and I'm you know mm. proud it was one of my partners that, that did that
0: what a great story because that's uh that's not a move for the faint-hearted <laughs> selling your house and throwing it all behind your vision I guess but
1: okay uh, and uh, you know, many might scoff at that that advice and it wasn't do it but here are the choices and uh, we could tell that the client uh, it was a great business great idea but though I just stuck in a financial hole and this was just the only way out at the time and uh, it was a matter for them to to uh, seize the opportunity which they did
0: but there's the power of um, you know because i i've seen many business owners make high risk decisions as well but i think here what you're talking about is the power of behind those high risk decisions making them on the basis of also having a really uh, clinical look at the numbers and someone with, with less emotion being able to stand back and give an opinion, an objective opinion on it as well. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess that's just my comment on on that story that you're telling before everyone goes and sells their house and throws it into the (laughs) (laughs) business. The power of the right advisor, I think, Alan, that's what I'm saying here.
1: (laughs) I think it's at this time I should give some sort of financial advice disclaimer. Uh, Seek specific advice in any of these circumstances.
0: Uh, Just general, yes, general in nature, yes, absolutely.
1: Sharing experiences.
0: <laughs> well, look, and, and I think at that point, Alan, this is the end of part one of our two part series. Um, and maybe this is a really good point for you to just talk to us very briefly uh, about prosperity and maybe how our listeners can get in contact with, um, with prosperity advisors if they're interested in getting um, get, getting a bit of this holistic advice that you've been talking to us about today.
1: Well, thanks, Joanna, we're a broad-based advisory firm, we really give advice on most financial matters other than than insolvency uh, that gives clients a 360 degree view of their whole financial landscape. Um, The bulk of our clients are business owner operators. So that's how we grew the business initially. So that DNA of helping people uh, develop, grow their business and ultimately sell them for appropriate prices is well ingrained in in what we do here. But we also spend the time to look after the other aspects as well, make sure that that wealth is protected in all sorts of insurance and that there are investment plans in place, that the right tactical and tax moves are taken as well um, to ensure that there's um, appropriate return for the effort and risk owner operators take in doing what they do.
0: Absolutely fabulous. I just love, I love the model. And how can people get in contact with Prosperity Advisors, Alan?
1: Through our website, we'll provide uh, all the details, Joanna. So it's prosperity.com.au.
0: Excellent. Wonderful. Thank you. We're really looking forward to having you back, Alan, to go through part two.
1: My pleasure, Joanna.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room Podcast. Today we have been chatting to the absolutely fabulous Alan McEwen all about his secrets from the inside, from his 30 years at the coalface. So you've only heard half of the story. You've been listening to part one of our two-part series. So come back to the same place next week to hear part two of our two-part series, where we finish off this discussion with Alan. Rounding off this Insightful discussion by talking about due diligence, the deal, and the role of advisors. But in the meantime, if you'd like more information about this topic, then just head over to our website at TheDealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to find more details of how you can contact Alan and his team at Prosperity Advisors Group. And there you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our legal eagles at aspect legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. Well, thanks again for listening in. I really hope that you can join us next week for part two of our fabulous two-part series with Alan. And until then, I hope you have a fabulous week. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time.